Jonah chapter number one. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at the life of Jonah this morning, and if you come back this evening, we'll continue on in chapter number two, um, a little mini-series mini that I've entitled, The Gospel According to Jonah. The Gospel According to Jonah. We're going to look at chapter one this morning and chapter two this night, tonight, so come back this evening to get a full context of, of this book of Jonah. Um, Let's, let's start uh, reading in verse number one. We'll read the first four verses of Jonah chapter number one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come into your house and to worship you. Just thank you for that song. Such a, such a beautiful name. You mean so much to us. ask that you would bless us this morning, help us to, to grow closer to you because of our time here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Jonah. It's a story that probably everybody in here could tell another person without even opening up the Bible. It's one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Um, it's Especially if you've grown up in church, you've heard it your whole life. It's one of the first stories that you learn as a kid. The prophet of Jonah is a man who, who gets a pretty bad rap. Well, we, uh, we beat him up a lot for being somebody who runs from God. He gets angry at God in the last chapter, but we're not going to go over that chapter today, but the last chapter, he gets angry at God for saving the city. We label Jonah as a coward, a jerk, a, a rebellious prophet. But I want to I want to stop and I want to look at this book a little bit differently this morning than most of us actually do. Before we judge Jonah too quickly, I want to, this morning and this evening, 
dive into this man's life and look at why he made the decisions that he made and how we compare to him. Because as Christians, we, we compare to Jonah so closely. Our lives match his life so, so closely. I want to look at that, why he made the decisions that he did, why he ran from God, and how that applies to us. I want to examine uh, his life and show us how closely his life depicts the life of most Christians. The title of this morning's message is Victory Through Grace. Victory through grace. And this evening, we're going to be our, the the sermon will be chapter number two, restored by grace. So we're going to look at this morning, victory through grace. Now I want to clarify: we're not going to do an exhaustive study here of Jonah. It would be impossible to do it in just two sermons. Um, but the, this, this book is packed with so many rich things. There, the, this book is one of my favorite books. Um, there, there's so many, there's so many elements here that apply to us, that convict us, that we can, ha- that can help us in our life. Um, we're just scratching the surface here this morning and tonight. Um, but I am convinced. Well, what we're going to be talking about in these two services is a perfect starting place to get us past this Sunday school church depiction that we have of Jonah. Okay, this thing that we have grown up with, with the story of Jonah and the whale, this, I think we look at him too differently, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say as it applies to us. As we begin, something to note, something to point out, is that Jonah, Jonah is a type of Christ, okay? Uh, that's something that, that we, don't, we don't often view Jonah in this way, because because Jonah is painted in a negative way, but Jonah is a type of Christ. Okay, that means it's it's, it's just like uh, it's just like Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph is a type of Christ. He's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And uh, if you want more on on that aspect of Jonah, chapter number three is a, is a great one that we won't get to. But jo- Jonah chapter number three uh, really dives into this because in the book of Matthew. Jesus talks about Jonah, okay? He talks about Jonah, and you know what's interesting is that Jesus only refers to Jonah in a positive way. It's very interesting, isn't it? We, as Christians, look at Jonah in a negative way. Look at him as a coward and as as a rebel, as a jerk, and Jesus, he didn't do that. Jesus only looked at Jonah in a positive way. So I think that's a really good starting place for us, a good beginning point of how we should look at this book as we get started this evening. If you want more study on the type of Christ, go to Matthew and study what Jesus says about him and then Jonah chapter number three. Okay. So this is a narrative of the prophet Jonah. This book here um, is, is, is like his autobiography. Okay, um, God gives him a task, right? God comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and preach. Okay, Jonah runs the opposite way. Even though Jonah ran the opposite way, God never gave up on him. God never gave up on him. This story is not a story of a coward. 
This story is a story of God's magnificent grace. We often, we often refer to the gospel, something we talked about last Sunday. So if you missed last Sunday, go talk to Chris, get the, the message on that. It would kind of help sets up this message, understanding what the gospel is. But we often look at the gospel as simply as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we leave it at that. Okay, while that is a, a correct definition, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that is a correct definition of what the gospel is. The gospel is not limited to just those events. Okay, Here's a definition I think works really well. It's from a Bible dictionary to define the gospel. The gospel is the joyous good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. The Greek word translated as gospel means a reward for bringing good news. Or simply just good news. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 9, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed the good tidings that God would rescue his people from, to me, from captivity. And in his famous sermon in the synagogue at Nazareth, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 and verse number 1, to characterize the spirit of his entire ministry. The entire ministry of Jesus, he quoted Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I love that definition, the joyous good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Another way to say it simply, the gospel is the grace of God. The gospel is the grace of God. So knowing this, knowing this understanding that the gospel is far more, it impacts our lives far more than just the knowledge that it's Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Knowing this, that we, you can understand why I've entitled this series The Gospel According to Jonah because this book is packed with the grace of God. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit this morning and tonight. Um, we're just scratching the surface. We're going to see this morning that you and I can overcome sin and fear in our lives through God's grace. We're going to see our main points this morning very simply. Our conflict, our efforts, and God's solution. Number one. If you're taking notes, our conflict, our conflict. We see, we see that that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Okay, God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I have a very simple task for you. Okay, what's interesting here, it says in verse number one, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah. Okay, it's very interesting. It says, but Jonah rose up to flee. Okay, we know and understand that that there wasn't even an argument here. There was no conversation. God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, you do this. And Jonah didn't even say anything. He just got up and ran. What does that say? Okay, it says that he was listening. Okay, Jonah was listening. The, the God's voice 
was something, as one, one commentator said, it was very distinct. That it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise to Jonah. It wasn't, it wasn't new to him. He recognized God's voice. Jonah was a prophet. He was a man of God. He understood when God spoke, I need to listen. The problem was Jonah didn't like what God said until he ran away. How does this apply to us? When, when the word of God is present, when we're reading it, when we're studying it, when we're listening, it, listening to it being preached, we need to be actively listening at all times. Jonah was. Jonah understood the importance and the power of God's word. So we see that he was listening. And his task was pretty simple. It was pretty simple. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't like God gave him some like huge, unbelievable task. All, all God said was, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh, and cry against it. That's what he said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. A great city. Okay, Nineveh was labeled a great city, a very powerful city. Large, rich. And from history, we understand that it was a very wicked city. Nineveh was so wicked, literally, as the commentator Matthew Henry put it, their wickedness rose to the very face of God. Their wickedness came up before God. you got to think about this. There's sin all in this world, right? There's sin in every city. There's, there's no place where sin is, is not present. Think about how much wickedness had to be in a place for God to call his prophet to then go to that city. Think about it. It was a pretty bad place. It was so bad, it rose up before the face of God, and God said, that's enough. Enough is enough. Jonah, go to this city and cry against it. I love that phrase. I love that phrase, to cry against. It's a very interesting phrase. It literally means this, to call, shout, summon, or proclaim. To proclaim. Literally means to proclaim the opposite, okay? To cry against it, to proclaim the opposite of the way that they were living. Another way God could have said it to Jonah is this. Jonah, arise and go, and go share the truth of my word to the people of Nineveh. His message was very simple. It wasn't belligerent. To put it simply, in today's Christian vernacular, he shared the gospel. That's all God asked him to do. Go and cry against it. God didn't say, go and tell them everything they're doing wrong. Go and, go and uh, just be angry, be belligerent, be hateful. God didn't say that. He just said, go cry against it. To proclaim the opposite of the way that they're living. In other words, share my truth because my truth is completely opposite of the way that they're living. God's like, you don't need to convince them that they're wrong. You just need to show them my love. You just need to share the gospel. You just need to share the truth. And it proves the fact that they are in need. So it wasn't a, very, it wasn't a hard task. 
You can look more in depth in chapter number three of the actual message that is being proclaimed. But it wasn't very complicated. God wasn't asking him to do something that was ugly or belligerent, like I said. He just said, go share my truth. Go share the truth. Go share the gospel. Go show them how much I love them. God didn't ask him to persuade them or to rebuke them. Just cry against them. Stand up for truth. They're living in a wicked way. They're living in a way that is opposite to God's ways. Share the truth of my word that declares the way, the truth, and the life. Show them the power of the gospel. As Raquel was saying this morning, a powerful name. The powerful name of Jesus. There, there is no greater name. There is no greater gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell them that grace comes with repentance. This is why I believe if you understand the story of Jonah, what happens when Jonah actually does go there and preach? They like repented immediately, right? This explains the power of the gospel because only the gospel can do that. That's why it was so quick, so easy, is because the power of God's amazing grace. We should never be alarmed. We should never be discouraged. We should never be turned off by the world's sin. Why? Because the power of God, the, the power of the gospel can overcome any of that. Our message, the message to cry against the world, the, the, the message to stand up for truth has the power to overcome the world's problem. Jonah's task was pretty simple. And you know what? So is ours. God speaks. We need to listen. What task, what task given to us mirrors this task given to Jonah? Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Understanding how... How similar we are to Jonah is such a good insight for us as we jump into this book. Understanding it's we're we're pretty we're pretty much identical to this to the story of Jonah. God comes to us and says, Here's your task. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Stand against them. Share the truth of my love. So our point, our first point, our conflict. Where did all of this conflict originate? Where did this conflict come from? Why was a prophet of God, somebody who understood God, somebody who, who was close to God, why was he literally running away? When he understood the power of God, when he understood the love of God, when he understood these things, why, why did he run away? A lot of people teach that Jonah was scared, scared of Nineveh. It's common knowledge that it was a it was a pretty vile place, super wicked. And he must have been just repulsed by their wickedness and that he feared for his life. Possibly. Possibly. I disagree with that teaching. Some people teach that. I don't 
I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Notice that Jonah never verbally responds to God. The moment, the moment that Nineveh was mentioned, immediate disdain comes to mind. No hesitation, no arguing, nothing. He gets up and he runs. But why? Very simply put, Jonah represented the mindset of the average Jew during that time. Okay? Jonah, Jonah was a Jew. He, he, he represented how the Jewish people thought. It's not the wickedness that he was repulsed by. Okay, you got to understand, like, Jonah's job, he was a prophet. <laughs> that's kind of what he did. He just preached against sin. So that's, that's, I mean, dealing with sin, that was kind of like his job description. So I don't think he was, like, repulsed by that. I don't think that was the reason that he said no. The people of Nineveh, they were Gentiles. They were second-class citizens according to the Jewish people. Unworthy of God. This is how they viewed, this is how the Jewish people viewed the Gentiles, viewed anybody who wasn't a Jew as unworthy of God. Roughly 150 years, about five to six generations later, Nineveh was destroyed because of God's judgment from the prophecy of Nahum. You can read all about that in the book of Nahum in the Bible. I think this is part of the reason why Jonah was, was so against going, because he knew this was going to be their ultimate fate. Just 150 years later, the entire city of Nineveh was destroyed. But this mindset that the Gentile people were not worthy of God, this was so ingrained in their mind, in their culture, something that we don't really understand today, but they... Anybody who wasn't a Jew could not have a relationship with God, according to them. We mentioned this last week, last Sunday morning, that even the Apostle Peter struggled with this. The Apostle Peter struggled with the same exact thing. This was in the New Testament. This was after Jesus came that Peter still struggled with this. So if Peter struggled with this, okay, the pastor of the very first church who spent time with Jesus Christ, if he struggled with this, think how much greater did Jonah struggle with this? How much greater did, did somebody before Jesus had even come struggled with the fact that God, God loves the whole world? So this is my opinion of why Jonah ran from God. I believe that this mindset, that his mindset was this. If I go to the, the if I go to these wicked Gentiles, I will probably be rejected by them. You know that that's like that's a common fear that we have with sharing our faith. That you know what they might reject. They might reject what I'm saying. Okay, so that's a fear. That's something that we can relate to. But it doesn't stop there because I think his mindset goes farther than that. He said, I will probably be rejected by the people of Nineveh. Probably. But if I go to these people, I will be 
rejected by my family, by my friends, and by my nation. You got to understand the culture that that does, that this man lived in. If he goes and associates with these people, he will be an outcast. He will be rejected. So before we start judging Jonah, beating him up for being some just rebellious coward, think this. When was the last time I was threatened to be rejected by my family, by my friends, and by my country for sharing my faith? When was the last time? Nobody. Nobody in here can relate to that. We can't relate to it on that level. Some of you might have lost friends, might have, might have lost a relationship with a family member, but nothing on this scale that Jonah was fighting with, nothing on this scale that he was going through, this fear that bound him, that says, if I do this, if I obey God, yeah, I understand that God's powerful, but I'm going to lose everything. The sad part is that he never considered the fact that God was his fortress. God was his defense. And he might be rejected by every single person that he knew, but he would never be rejected by God. This is what we looked at last week. God is our only true source of validation. He is the only thing that matters. What God thinks of us, how God views us as children of God, is the only thing that matters. So back to our simple task. The conflict that that Jonah had, this conflict of fear that gripped his soul, was a pretty big conflict that he had. When God says, hey, do this, and he just said, I don't think so. My question to you is, what's your conflict? We all struggle with this task, right? Every single person, every single Christian struggles with this task of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. We all struggle with it. There's not a Christian alive that fulfills that task 100% of the time. So, what's the conflict? What's the issue here? What's the conflict for us? What is your fear? It's not okay to simply blame Jonah on being a rebel, being a heartless prophet, and being a coward. Because he had a genuine fear. His genuine fear led to his disobedience. It doesn't make it right, but that's where it led. His genuine fear led to his disobedience. Maybe you also fear rejection. Maybe you fear failure. Maybe you fear what people think. Or you have the fear of time. Let me explain that. In other words, if I do this, if I obey God, then I'm not going to have time for this. I'm not going to have time for that. 
I'm not going to have time for this. If I obey God and I preach the gospel to everybody, I'm not going to have time for the things that are important to me. What does God say? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If fear, any type of fear, is gripping your heart and your soul to the point that it's causing you to disobey God, you're fearing the wrong thing. Our true validation comes from God and God alone. And when we let other things, other fears, other people dictate our actions, our validation isn't coming from the right place. Then you are not identifying yourself as a child of God. Because when we identify as a child of God, he is the only thing that matters because his validation of who I am is enough. Our conflict, we all have one. Every single person in here. We have a conflict of why we choose not to obey God. So what is it for you? What is it for you? There was no response to God's command here for Jonah. He just rose up to flee. His decision, I believe, was a calculated one. He knew exactly where to go to find passage to get to Tarshish. It said that he paid the fare thereof. He had the money to get to where he needed to go. He knew where to go. The furthest possible thing at the known, for the known world was Tarshish. So I'm going to go as far away as I possibly can go. I think it's interesting. Verse number three, right there in the middle of the verse, it says he went down to Joppa and he found this ship. He found it. He just, he just happened to find a ship. He found a ship going exactly where he wanted to go. He had the right money to get on that ship. I think it's interesting that not, not every open door should be taken. Just because you find something, you're like, oh, this is amazing. This, this gets me what I want. And it's just, it's just right here for me. That doesn't mean God put it there for you. We need to be very discerning. We need to be very careful when we make choices and steps in our life. The thing about this, this story of Jonah, he rose up to flee. What does verse number three say? He rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He literally... What this means, he literally left the face of God. He, literally, he just left it. He said, God, I'm close to you, but I don't care. And he walked away from God. God didn't move. God didn't push him. He left the presence of Almighty God. It's a scary place to be. 
That's a scary place to be. And then what happened? Verse number three starts this way. But Jonah rose. How does verse number four start? But the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind. Jonah left the presence of God, and then God brings the storm. It's a very interesting order there. Jonah left, God brought the storm. Point number one, our conflict. Number two, our efforts. Our efforts. When we see God's command, we see Jonah's direct disobedience, which resulted in this great conflict between him and God. You know, it's interesting, but Jonah decided to disobey God, but God says, you know what, I get the final say here. God always gets the final say in your life. Why? Because God is in control. Jonah decided to disobey. You can decide to disobey. We can decide to do what we want. Why? Because God loves us and he gives us a free will. We can choose. But God always gets the final say. God brings the storm. We often, we often stop here and we, we look at this, this part of the story here, this, this huge storm that comes and the fear that is among uh, the... Uh, the people on the ship, we, we view this as God's wrath, okay? We often view this as God's wrath being poured out on Jonah. And Jonah, you disobeyed me, so I'm just going to pour out on you. But I would say that while God, God is sending punishment to Jonah, I don't, think that's the, I don't think that's the whole purpose of the storm. Ultimately, if you understand the story, God is pushing Jonah. He's pushing him to an ultimate place. He is pushing him so that he can demonstrate grace. Okay, that's the point of this story. We're going to get to it at the end of, the, uh, end of this morning. God is pushing Jonah to a point. So he brings the storm, yeah, to probably scare him a little bit, but to say, hey, I'm pushing you, I'm preparing something for you so that I can show you my grace. That's the point of this storm. And that is, that's the point of storms and trials in our life. God sends storms, God sends difficulties and trials into our lives for various reasons, but all of them, all of them, always have the intended purpose of making us like Christ. All of them. There's different reasons why things, difficulties come into our life, but all of them have the intended purpose of shaping us into a Christ-like nature so that God can demonstrate his love and grace in our lives. These two goals, these two goals of God shaping us into himself and demonstrating his love are never reached if we fight against God's trials. If you fight against it, if you buck at them, if you, if you get mad at God and say, God, this isn't fair. God, why did you allow this into my life? I didn't deserve this. 
If you never humble yourselves to the point that you are admitting, I need you, God. If you never get to that point, you're missing the point. The point of the trial is to make us more like God, to shape us, to mold us, to, to, to like have us be like him. Jesus is the goal. And when we fight against that, because our finite minds can't understand God, you miss it. You miss so much. In this storm, this particular storm in Jonah chapter number one, we see that there were two responses. There were two types of responses. We'll look at those this morning. Okay, The first response that we see here in this chapter is that Jonah hid himself. He was silent. He hid himself. What did he do? What did he do? Jonah, he goes into the ship, he goes to the bottom of the ship, and he takes a nap. It's unbelievable, isn't it? How, like, how in the world is that even possible? Like, how do you sleep during that? But that's what he did. Jonah hid himself and was silent. He isolated himself. You know, it's hard it's hard to solve problems by yourself. We need this idea of community. We need this idea of church, of being together, helping each other. We need other people in our lives. This is one of the one of the reasons why church is so important. Don't hide when conflict comes into your life. Allow other people to help. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Exhort. It's just a fancy word for just, for meaning to help people, to encourage people, to be a help to them. This means... Okay, if that's one of the reasons that we should be at church so we can exhort other people or help other people, what does that also mean? That we need to be able to receive it. Each and every one of us, when we go through these trials in life, we need to be open to let other people help us. When a hardship arises, don't hide. Let the church do her job of encouraging, coming alongside, and helping you. So we see this We see this response from Jonah. This conflict comes, this super hard time, this difficulty comes. What does he do? He hides. He runs from it. Let's look at the other response. The, the mariner's efforts. Okay, the, the guys who, who were working on the ship, the mariners, let's look at their efforts. We can learn so much from these guys, so much from these mariners uh, about their futile efforts to keep the boat afloat, okay, to keep this ship going. Verse number five, what does it say? Then the mariners were afraid. Yeah, I bet they were. And cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So these mariners, they what were they doing? They were crying out. 
They were, they were crying out to their, to their gods, saying, help us. It was a pretty bad storm. They were fearful for their lives. So what did they try to do? They were seeking help from all the wrong places. They were seeking help from something that couldn't help them. So instead of hiding like Jonah, they actually went to work. They actually tried to do something about it. Jonah went and went to sleep, and the mariners were like, well, let's do something. They were, they were, they were panicking. They were running to their useless gods. They were looking for help from everything and every, anyone they could ask for help from. We do this a lot, running to our gods. While we don't have like little wooden gods at home, little statutes that we pray to, what happens? What happens? Think about it in your life. When something bad comes into your life, what do you do? What is your, what is your knee-jerk response? What do you go to? Do you pick up your phone? Start scrolling? Start watching? Do you run to work? Do you hide at work? Do you run to a bad relationship? Substances? Social media? TV? I mean, the list could go on forever and ever. The point is this. Where are you seeking help from when the storm hits? When, when the storm hits, what do you seek help from? What do you first go to? Because if it isn't God Almighty, if it's something else or someone else, that person is a God in your life. That, that thing is an idol in your life. You're, you're no better than these mariners. When this storm hit, they, they were crying out and said, Help us! So the first thing that these mariners did is they cried out and sought help from all the wrong places. Secondly, what did they do? They, they were casting out the wares. Okay, what does that mean? They were just like, anything that didn't matter, they threw it overboard. Okay, trying this or that to lighten the load. Trying this or that, things that like, oh, we don't actually need that. Let's, let's throw it out. Trying this thing that thing to make life easier. That sounds a lot like our culture. It sounds a lot like people that we know. Sounds like maybe some people in here. When life gets tough, when life gets rough, we look to this program or that program, this book, that book. Trying, just trying things. To make life easier, I'm going to try. I'm going to try this diet. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this. When ultimately we need God, okay. I mean, diets aren't bad. All of us probably should be on one after Christmas, okay. But these things aren't bad, okay. But when we go to those things for like joy and satisfaction, because because life is in a turmoil, and we run to these things to just kind of help our lives seem better. We're just like these mariners who are just trying to lighten the load to make it go easier. 
What is the other thing they did? Verse number 13. Verse number 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. They rode hard. They did the best that they could. Working hard to fix our problems in our own strength, it's impossible. Sometimes we just try to fix it, but you can't. Working harder, working longer, problem solving. When the problem with our lives cannot be fixed with human strength. Each of us have a, has a problem. We have a major problem. And you cannot fix it by yourself. Our efforts, our strengths, is not good enough. You are not good enough to fix your life. Can't. I can't. Both of these efforts, whether you just hide from your problems, try to forget them, or you run to things that don't really help, they're futile, they're pointless. Because you are weak. You can't fix it. Which leads to our final point this morning. And an awesome point of this story. We see our conflict, our problem with God. Our problem with God where God says, here, I want you to do this. I I want to know you. I want to be close to you so that you can share my truth with the world, so that you can glorify me. And we say, yeah, but I don't want to. Or, yeah, but I'm scared. I'm fearful. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having fear as long as you don't hold on to it. We all have it. So we have this conflict, and then we try to fix our conflict in our own strength, and our life goes south. Our life blows up. We don't know what to do. Point number three, God's solution. God's solution. Let's see what God has to say about this. You can't do it. What needs to happen is very simple. Each and every one of us here this morning, what needs to happen in our lives is very, very simple. You need to let go. Let's go to verse number 14. Verse number 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the man, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What needs to happen 
You need to let go and you need to throw yourself overboard. Why? Because God prepared something for you. Verse number 17, the Lord prepared a great fish. We need to let go because God's grace is there waiting for us to consume us, to swallow us up. Such an awesome picture. We, we look at this, this whale, this great fish, we look at this as judgment. We look at it as punishment, but that's not what God, no. God's saying, let go, Jonah. Let go so I can consume you, so I can swallow you up and then use you. The thing about this story is Jonah, he didn't know the whale was there. He didn't know. He, he didn't know God had prepared that. And guess what? You don't either. You don't know what God has prepared for you. And this fear that grips us, that says, I can't let go because I don't know what's over there. I'm going to tell you what's over there. The grace of God. The grace of God that wants to consume your life and help you accomplish His will for your life is there waiting, but you have to let go. After Jonah ignored God, he ran from God, he disobeyed God, he hid from God, he, he, he actually tried to commit suicide. He did. He told the mariners, he said, just throw me overboard. After all of that, guess what? God's plan was still in full effect. God said this. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. God said this. I know you don't want my grace. I know you don't want to share my grace. But you need it. So here it is. This is what God says to Jonah. Jonah, I know you don't want it. I know you don't want to go to Nineveh and share it. But you're going to die without it. Your life is going to be hopeless and helpless without it. So here it is. And God, the awesome thing is, God had prepared this fish long before Jonah even had any idea about it. This is why God brought the storm. He was preparing his grace. He brought the storm to bring the fish so that God could show his grace to Jonah. The storm, the fish, weren't simply a punishment. They were demonstrations of God's grace. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't put the grace of God into a box of just salvation. We, we like say, oh yeah, the grace of God, it's a gift, it's a free gift that I receive at salvation, but don't keep it in that box. We can experience His grace every single day, especially during the storms of life, especially during the difficulties of life. We can experience the grace of God, but we need to let go.
I don't know what your fear is. I don't know what sin of disobedience you struggle with. But I know this. You have fear. I have fear. We all fear something. We all have sin. You know something? God's grace is greater than that fear. God's grace is greater than that sin. God's grace wants to consume you. We just need a letting go and letting God work in our lives. We have a task. And often there's a conflict with us and God. And there is nothing in our own efforts that can overcome that. There is nothing that you can do to overcome that conflict between you and God. Allowing God's grace to come into your life, to take over your life. That's what God wants, and this is how you do it. Stay humble. Stay in church. Stay in the Word. And stay close to God so that you can stay far from fear and sin. That's how you do it. In other words, a simple way to put it, have a relationship with God. It's very simple. It's not complicated. I didn't come here this morning to blow your minds. I came here this morning to share a simple truth that God loves you. That God's grace is greater than anything in your life. It's greater than the fear. It's greater than your sin. It's greater than any bad relationship in your life because that's the only thing that matters. Have a relationship with God. Have personal worship with God. We talked about last Sunday night. Have personal worship with God every day and you will stay far from fear, far from sin because His grace is powerful to overcome it. Let's pray.